2: This is Sharp Money with Patrick Maher and Amal Shaw on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network.
4: Welcome back in. It is Sharp Money here on VSIN. I'm Jeff Parles. Dustin Swedelson's here. Amal Shaw's here. And now with us, our VSIN betting analyst, still with one of the best Twitter handles there is, even though who knows how much longer Twitter will exist at Skating Tripods, one of the architects of the NFL Betting Guide, our guy Adam Burke in studio. Thanks for being with us today. It's
5: good to be here. It's uh, much cooler in here than it is outside, as we were talking about during the break.
1: Yeah, it is scorching. If you're not, well, lots of the country right now, it's very hot. What are we at, about 110, 111 here in Vegas? Yeah, 109 right now. 109 is what it says.
5: Regardless, hot. It's a little warm. It's a little warm, and it's been warm around Major League Baseball, and, you know, we're seeing good amount of offense here you know with the fact that the temperatures have ticked up a lot of humidity high dew points uh it's been a little bit challenging because we've had a lot of games where there's been a chance of thunderstorms and i don't really like to bet into games where it could be a rain delay because i'm handicapping the two starting pitchers and the last thing i want is for those guys to get bounced in the third inning because there's a two-hour rain delay so that's been part of the challenge of, of major league baseball here with the hot weather where the ball should carry better but you know you don't always know who's gonna wind up pitching who's gonna wind up finishing the
4: game is that one of those, though, Adam, where let's say there's no weather in the forecast, though, and, and you kind of talked about this with us a little bit yesterday, where it was hot weather in Cincinnati boosted to a 12 over the over the weekend. Colorado's always going to be high, high in the summer anyway, but you're going to start seeing 13s out there at Coors Field as the weather gets hotter. How do you handle it now, where these totals start to balloon, but common sense says, all right, weather's warmer. Ball's going to fly more.
5: Right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, you know, I think a couple of the things that you want to consider is, you know, what kind of pitcher are you dealing with from a starting standpoint? Is it a guy that keeps the ball on the ground? Well, the weather shouldn't impact him as much. Is it a guy who allows a lot of fly balls and doesn't have a lot of strikeouts? Does he pitch to a lot of contact and allow aerial contact? That's a guy where the weather is going to be much more of a factor for somebody like that. So you're kind of handicapping the batted ball distribution of the pitcher as well, along with You know, hey, if you walk guys and you don't have a high strikeout rate and all of a sudden you're going to start giving up all these fly balls. Well, doubles and triples are going to score a lot of runners, let alone home runs. So you have to handicap so many things, you know, a little bit differently once you get to the heat of summer, as opposed to what you would do in, say, April and early May.
1: By the way, Will Smith in trouble right now for the Rangers on the bump. They went into the top of the ninth with an 11-10 lead. And then a, I didn't see who reached initially. Bregman flew out to center. Abreu with a double. Back to back doubles. And then uh, another base hit here. Chaz McCormick T-
4: with the two run double, with the RBI double. So 12 11 Houston now. <laughs> Boy, th- this and uh, let's just be honest, a roll Chapman
5: is not enough for this Rangers bullpen. They, no, not they at need all. to get more before the trade deadline. And
4: frankly, I'd get some
5: more starting pitching depth as well because. Andrew Heaney is not exactly a reliable guy. Nate Uvalde has been hurt in the second half of the season a few times as well. They really need to be aggressive in adding pitching here. And, you know, today's uh, bullpen meltdown and also the bad start from Perez, another
1: example. Who are some guys that would intrigue you if you're the Texas Rangers?
5: Well, I mean, I think a guy like Aaron Nola would make a ton of sense if the Phillies end up being a seller. I don't think that's going to end up being the case. Um, you know, it's really tough because a lot of the teams that are in positions to sell just don't really have much pitching to move. So that's definitely a problem in, in the situation for the Rangers here. I mean, I look, I think a guy like Marcus Stroman would definitely make sense. This is a Rangers team. that's really, really good defensively. Stroman probably going to be available. As you guys talked about, you know, the Cubs kind of falling off here a little bit of late. I think they've lost you know, six of seven or something. And, you know, it looks like they're on their way to another loss here today, um, the difficult thing is, you know, you've got so many teams on the fringes of the playoff race that feel like they can make a bit of a push. So over the next three weeks or so, I think the trade market will kind of show itself. And then we'll have a better idea of who teams like the Rangers can go out there and try to get.
4: So actually, let's let's go to this quote from John Mose-lock, uh this week. The Katie Wu of the athletic on basically the Cardinals who they them, the Mets, the Padres, three biggest disappointments in baseball. We always hear buy or sell. Those are the two. There's also the hold pat, the do nothing route. The fourth is where there could be some deals made that can help us now, but can also help us in the future or maybe more of a reshuffle in some places where we don't feel like we're getting enough playing time for someone. We're not embedded in any of those yet. We'll see where we are at some point and make some decisions. So basically that quote from Ozelock was covering every single base humanly possible. But really, Adam, the Cardinals are the most interesting case of everybody here. Because the Padres with that positive run differential and the way their pitching has been probably will convince themselves they're still in it until they're not. The Mets, it's a lot of blow to contracts that would have to get traded that would need the Mets be willing to trade them and take lesser pieces back, unless if they're gonna carry a lot of the money. That leaves St. Louis as the most intriguing, non-expected potential seller here, where, Adam, with the way that pitching has been this year, I'm not even sure which guys would be the right guys to go after at this point.
5: Well, San Diego's in a weird spot because you do have Juan Soto for another year. He's got a fourth year of arbitration because he was a super two guy. So you have another contract year for him, where certainly if you're the Padres, you expect to be better next year. But Blake Snell and Josh Hader are two guys that are impending free agents. And Snell is pitching as well as I've ever seen him pitch. Four straight double-digit strikeout games. He's got an ERA under one over his last seven starts. If they decide to be a seller, then Snell would definitely be a top name on the market. But as far as the Cardinals go, I'm a huge Jordan Montgomery fan. He's an impending free agent. I think that's a guy that the Rangers should absolutely target or any other team kind of in that mix. Um, Jack Flaherty is also a free agent for them. I don't think that they want to give him any sort of long-term commitment. So that's a guy that could be attractive in the trade market. Adam Wainwright is a free agent, but he's pitching so bad. And he's just kind of a legacy player for the Cardinals. And I don't see them doing that. So really to me, I think the two guys they could move are Flaherty and Montgomery. And this is an organization that right now doesn't have a whole lot of starting pitching depth. If they did, they'd probably have used it already. So that's going to be an interesting thing for them, where if they move Montgomery and or Flaherty... The rest of the season looks pretty bad for them. So you start thinking about like second half adjusted win totals, uh, you know, all those kinds of things. There may be some opportunities to look to fade the Cardinals here. They can't move a whole lot of offensive pieces just because of the contracts that they're signed to. But I, I do think guys like Montgomery and Flaherty would go. And if I'm the Rangers, Jordan Montgomery is a pretty prominent piece I'd be looking to trade for.
1: I would, I would agree with you though. That'd be a great acquisition for this team. Still a long way to go. You mentioned I like Flaherty probably more than a lot of people do. I think he's still got some good upside. Former first round pick out of Harvard Westlake uh, in the Los Angeles area, but right now it's been struggle. It's been a struggle for him, Adam. And it's been inconsistencies. If you're St. Louis, do you look at you still have a chance because this division is so bad, or do you just sit there and say, hey, let's just kind of gear towards 2024?
5: I think you have to look at it in the sense that because of the offense that you have and because of the offense that you have coming back, if you can get some young pitching with some upside for expiring contracts, that's the move that I would make. I'm not saying you have to punt on 2023, but it's still going to take a lot for you to actually come back and really get into this race. Even though this division is quite bad, I would start looking at it as, you know what, let's try to revamp our rotation for 2024. You know, we get some different guys in here and we, Go with what's probably still the best offense in this division heading into next season. That's even with a guy like Christian and Strand on the ball club for the Reds, along with all the other guys they've called up. So that's what I would do if I was St. Louis. I would just look at it and say, you know what? We bring back a great offense next year. Let's get younger on the pitching side. And let's also isolate who we want to sign in free agency, because that is a team that's not afraid to spend money in the free agent market.
4: Adam, what do you think these AL Central teams are going to do other than the Royals who get are currently relegated. out of it? Just get
5: relegated to AAA. Just, Just send relegated. them all down.
4: But, I mean, I, the White Sox are terrible. Legitimately yes. bad baseball team. The Tigers, a bad baseball team. They're both one good week away from being two games out of the division here, mm-hmm. especially with the Guardians playing the Braves this week. Right. So, that's probably a series that won't go well for Cleveland. But, I mean... How do you handle that if a team teams that are clearly bad, but are still alive because they play in a horrible division? Well, I think what's going to be really interesting
5: is to see how the twins handle this trade deadline, because they wound up giving up a ton for Tyler Malley and it didn't work out because now he's hurt. And and strand was part of that deal with the reds. Uh, Spencer steer was as well. So that was a really bad trade by them last year. And of course they wound up collapsing in September. Anyway, didn't even make the playoffs, so I wonder if they'll be a little bit gun-shy to trade some of their prospects. Understandably so, because their major league roster is just not really getting it done right now. There is a lot of pressure on that organization to win a playoff series. It's been a very, very long time. It's been over 20 years since they've done that. It's They've won one playoff game, I think, in that span, actually. So a lot of pressure on them. Cleveland has a really, really deep minor league system the question is, how aggressive will they be in going out there and trying to pursue talent? The other thing is, they never get rental players. They did it a couple of years ago, getting a guy like J. Bruce, but for the most part, they don't get rental players. So they could be an interesting pairing with one of these teams that has some controlled guys but has some weaknesses. Something like what we've seen with Miami, where you know they got Jazz Chisholm and the Zach Gallen deal. Uh, they've made some other deals as well. So I don't know. I think Cleveland has a better chance at getting better just because of the trade currency that they have. But the problem for them is their bullpen was supposed to be a strength coming into the year, and it really hasn't been. So that's the biggest thing they need is this bullpen to get it figured out because that's what will give them a chance when their offense is bad and they have
1: to win 3-2, to 4-2, to two, stuff like that. Is there any team right now in baseball that looks like a clear-cut team that could win a title to you outside of Atlanta? Because to me, everybody else is in play at this point.
5: Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's pretty easy to look at Tampa Bay, who has the most wins in Major League Baseball, and say they are. But, you know, Shane McClanahan's kind of dealing with some stuff, it feels like. Jeffrey Springs, Drew Rasmussen are both out. Um, Tampa Bay has some problems. I think Texas has problems, too, which, you know, we kind of saw here today. I I would say, I mean, outside of Atlanta, I I wouldn't be super confident in anybody.
4: Pretty wide-open mess of things after Atlanta. Anyway, Braves right now, plus 340 to win it all. Rays actually backed up the plus 475. Dodgers plus 650. The Astros are an out away from escaping with that series win and the win today in Arlington. They just have to get by Heim to end things in the bottom of the ninth. Adam's going to stick around. We'll have a little more baseball to talk about and also, too, and Adam was one of the architects of our NFL betting guide. We'll discuss some NFL as well here on Sharp Money on VSIT.
2: Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Sharp Money with Patrick Maher and Amal Shaw on VSIN, the sports betting network.
4: Become a VSIN Pro subscriber today and get a daily email recapping all the best bets from our show hosts and guests. You'll get unlimited access to our VEASAN.com slash picks page. Sort picks by sport, matchup, event date, and more. Check the top VEASAN experts leaderboard to view betting records, profit, and ROI. See which VEASAN expert has the hot hand. Four VEASAN pro picks, betting splits, power ratings, plus 24-7 video. Become a VEASAN pro subscriber today. Sign up now for just $19 at VEASAN.com slash subscribe. Welcome back in Sharp Money's the Show. I'm Jeff Parles. I'm all Shaw. Dustin Sweetelson's here. Adam Burke, our VEASAN betting analyst, and again, one of the architects of our NFL betting guide. Available now only to pro subscribers, so take advantage of all the offers we brought up today uh, at VEASAN.com slash subscribe. Dustin brought this up during the break. Adam, and one thing in the guide that, that, that definitely stood out was our staff, at least the ones that were in the guide for their season-long picks, were very high on the Cincinnati Bengals, which, betting odds-wise, Bengals second favorite to win it all, only Kansas City shorter. But it's a little bit jarring to see one team that was predicted to win it all as much as Cincinnati was from our 20 experts. Yeah, I mean, I
5: think 15 people picked Cincinnati to to win the Super Bowl. And it's also interesting, too, because all 20 picked the Chiefs to win the AFC West. So, you know, obviously, this is not a measure of disrespect for Kansas City by any means. Look, to me, and I am one of the 15 that took the Bengals. The tipping point to me is Cincinnati is a top 10 defense. And I think if there's a chance they could move up into the top five in terms of advanced metric like EPA per play for this season, whereas Kansas City's defense last year was 15th. They were effectively exactly league average according to EPA per play, whereas Cincinnati was eighth. They were a top 10 defense, as I mentioned, and I think another year with Lou Anarumo, another year of kind of shaping and molding the defensive side to the way that they want to. I think that's the the separator for me. I think Kansas City is an average defense. I think Cincinnati can be well above average, and I don't think the gap between the two offenses is that extreme. So to me, I just think that Cincinnati, because of their defensive prowess, I give them the nod over the Chiefs. And look, I mean, there may be Patrick Mahomes getting pushed out of bounds away from being the back-to-back AFC champs.
1: I would agree with you there. You look at Cincinnati, they've had some bad calls. I don't know about that uh, late hit out of bounds, if that you'd consider that one a bad one. But even in the Super Bowl, the holding penalty, uh, it was not that egregious of a foul call that went against them. So I, I think this is an opportunity. One other thing to pay attention to is this is what Burrow's fourth year, correct? Yes and you've got Jamar Chase in year three, they've got to make hay in the next two years because now these guys are going to go on astronomical contracts. Joe Burrow is probably going to be the first quarterback at $60 million. And so now you're in a situation where you're just not going to be able to pay everyone else. Um, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine about this. The way the NFL is structured, either you're going to have to do a separation from your quarterback from the cap, or you can't pay a quarterback this much of the cap. It's so detrimental to the, the, how you construct your team.
4: I don't think the players' union will ever agree to that. That would be the bigger issue there.
1: No, I, what I'm saying though is like you're still spending the same money, but so you, you're saying like the, your own there should be another cap. There should be another yeah. cap just for quarterbacks. Okay, because you you end up losing. For example, the T Higgins and the Tyler Boards and the uh, Boards and the Joe Mixons. They'll all fall. somebody's going to fall by the wayside because you're paying Joe Burrow and uh, uh, Jamar Chase.
4: Like. My- Mixon may not even be there, but they started a regular season this year with all the contract stuff that's going on with Cincinnati. You know, Adam, I'm happy you brought up the one point where you said the Chiefs swept the board in the AFC West predictions, and that's, to me, properly so. They're still clearly the best team out West as long as Mahomes stays upright. But it's interesting in a year where, again, 15 of the 20 experts go with, with Cincinnati, that division in the North is really difficult Baltimore gets Lamar back. Uh, the Steelers finished the season very well last year, going over 500 again. And your Browns will get a full season of Deshaun Watson. So this division, again, everyone has a win total of eight and a half or more. This is, as to me, this is top to bottom, the best division in, in the NFL.
5: Yeah, I think it's definitely the deepest. And, and again, I think Cincinnati is, is maybe the team with the highest ceiling in the NFL this year. So, look, I mean... The Cleveland thing, I think, is really interesting, right? Because outside of the Deshaun Watson question, this is a damn good roster. Yep. They've really improved at the wide receiver position. Obviously, they have Nick Chubb, who's a phenomenal running back. Defensively, not only do I think they improve the personnel with Darius Smith over Jadavion Clowney, but they also hired Jim Schwartz, who I think will be a massive upgrade over Joe Woods. Everything for Cleveland hinges on how good Deshaun Watson is. If Deshaun Watson is a league average quarterback, Cleveland's probably right around their win total. If Deshaun Watson is a top 10 quarterback, Cleveland should go over their win total and potentially could threaten Cincinnati, especially given the schematic success that success that Kevin Stefanski seems to have over Zach Taylor because the Browns have done very, very well even with Baker Mayfield in those games. So that's a really interesting thing. And then I've seen some people, and, and like Drew Dinsick, whale capper, who I greatly respect, I saw him, I think he was on Gill's show, talking about, Pittsburgh being better than expectations. While I don't see it, and I would respectfully disagree with Drew, I very much respect his opinion. So this idea that maybe Pittsburgh could actually end up being better in year two of Kenny Pickett's tenure is really interesting here as well. And, of course, didn't even mention Baltimore, where their floor is so high with a healthy Lamar Jackson. It is tough, and and maybe that's – kind of the point that Dustin was making during the break of like, yeah, Cincinnati may be this great team, but they're also locked in that great division.
1: You're absolutely right about the division. You brought up a great point about this Browns team. When you look at this team from an offensive line standpoint, Conklin, Teller, Betonio, this team is very good offensively. I don't know. Is Nick Chubb the number one running back in football? If he's not, then he's one B, right? Like Mm. he's, yeah, he's right there. You're splitting hairs with Nick Chubb and whoever else you may have in that conversation. The only concern I have for Cleveland offensively, And Joku's got some great athleticism at the tight end position. But when you look at the receivers, I like Amari Cooper. I always liked him a lot. Uh, But is Donovan Peoples-Jones and uh, Elijah Moore, are those two guys good enough as your second and third receivers? That's my one concern I have with this team. Defensively, they don't have to be great. They just have to be efficient. You've got good corners in Newsom and Ward. I I think this team is dangerous. If you want to take a look at a long shot, and I'm not a big Deshaun Watson fan, but I got to tell you, statistically, he's far better than I've given him credit for in his career. He's in one season where he threw 12 picks. The others, he's been in single digits. He's generally been durable. Uh, last year, obviously, he played six games because the suspension was out the 21 season. I, I mean, he's got the capability of getting things going in the right direction. To me, the Cleveland Browns could be the one under the radar team, as Adam pointed to, that could be really, really dangerous because offensively, they can match up and you've got a running game. You look at Pittsburgh, Baltimore, Cleveland, and Cincinnati, not exactly. Cleveland, obviously being the coldest market there, but overall, if you can run the ball in December and January, you're going to have a chance.
5: Well, and I think something about the receiver core, I mean, I don't know if people's Jones got better throughout the course of last year, the drops are still an issue, but you know, now they have Cedric Tillman who they drafted in the third round. They've got Elijah Moore. They've got, you know, they signed Marquise Goodwin as well. We'll see what kind of free agent acquisition he ends up being, but With Jacoby Brissett, this was a top 10 offense in EPA per play and success rate. So I know Kevin Stefanski's come under a lot of fire, you know, for some of his fourth down decisions or maybe abandoning the run or or this or that. But like this dude took Jacoby Brissett and had a clear cut top 10 offense in the NFL with Amari Cooper really doing the lion's share of the receiving and people's Jones helping out every now and then. So now you've got Watson. You've got another year of Watson in this playbook, along with all these wide receivers. Because remember, you know, Cooper was in the offense for the first time last year, too. There's some continuity now for Cleveland that could wind up really helping them out as well.
1: I, to me, Adam, when you look at it, this team is very dangerous. Now, things may not go as planned, but I, I think from a on-paper standpoint, I don't know why they're being so overlooked. You know, we talked about Patrick Mahomes. We were talking during the commercial break about Kansas City. I don't know where you put Kansas City's roster, but it's not a top-five roster. It's Mahomes that makes so many differences on that team. When you look at the San Francisco 49ers, minus the quarterback position – they are so far better than everybody else. It's unbelievable. But to me, the Browns have a top 10 roster. Jacoby Brissett's probably the best backup quarterback for my money in the league, but he's literally like a 30th starting quarterback in the National Football League. Now you've got a guy who many people deem to be a franchise quarterback in Deshaun Watson. His mobility, his playmaking ability with his legs, combined with Nick Chubb's running and the receivers they have. You mentioned Tillman, the third-round pick out of Tennessee. This team could be really dangerous. You know what the biggest thing? thing, holding it back, probably
4: just the team They're the Cleveland Browns. It's a stigma still. Oh, and, yeah. I'm, and, I'm and, fully aware. <laughs> no, I know you're aware, but it's just, it's just one of those where it's like, just can't get it. It's kind of the same. It, again, the Jets have a little bit of a different thing because Aaron Rodgers is there now, but it's still the Browns. Yeah. It's the, why the detractors of the Jets this year are saying it's still the Jets. So it's one of those. It's just one of those where yeah, at I think that's the biggest factor, but the one other thing too is, is Deshaun Watson close to the guy we saw in Houston anymore? And
5: that's a fair question, especially when you look at their schedule to start the year, Cincinnati in the home opener at Pittsburgh, Tennessee, a team that I don't think is very good, but other people do Baltimore bye week, San Francisco. So we're going to find out real quick where Deshaun Watson is and where this Browns team is
4: Browns seven and 10 a year ago. And that very easily could have been reversed very easily could have been 10 and seven. Which would have been good enough to get them into the postseason last year. One more segment with Adam when we come back on Sharp Money.
2: This is Sharp Money with Patrick Maher and Amal Shaw on VSIN, the sports betting network.
4: Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today, and new customers can bet $5 to get $150 in bonus instantly. Use the promo code VSIN when you sign up today. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for full terms and conditions. Welcome back in. I'm Jeff Parles, I'm all shah. Adam Burke, Dustin Sweetelson here at his sharp money on vSIN. And of course, the NFL betting guide out now. Got to be a Vsin Pro subscriber to get at vsincom slash subscribe to see all your options. Adam, one of the key architects to putting together the betting guide and getting it out in the earliest it's ever been out as well.
5: Yeah, and you know what? I'm about to send off an email to all of our writers. Our college football betting guide comes out a month from today. So that one will be out a little bit earlier than usual as well. But, yeah, very proud of the NFL publication we put out. Got a lot of contributions both from our writing staff and then also from the on-air hosts and personalities. So definitely go pick that up over at vcin.com.
4: Let's uh, go over to the NFC because we were having this discussion during the break. The Philadelphia Eagles, the betting favorite to win the NFC yet again. Of course, the representative in the Super Bowl of the NFC last year coming up shy against the Chiefs. Adam, really more than anything, when handicapping the NFC, at least for me, and I think this is an agreement with some of us on the uh, the show here, it's hard to find a reason against them more so than anything. And look, they're the most talented. To me, they're the second most talent as a whole In the NFC, San Francisco is more talent, but the advantage of having Jalen Hurts over the combination of Trey Lance, Sam Darnold, and Brock Purdy coming off significant elbow surgery gives Philadelphia the distinct edge there still.
5: Yeah, I mean, I think it's Philadelphia, but also to Amal's point that he brought up, I mean, the 49ers, if you take away the quarterback position, which maybe is asinine to say because the quarterback is the most important position in the NFL, but if you take away the quarterback the best roster in the league, and I don't think it's particularly close, belongs to San Francisco. So that's the biggest thing. And, and to me, I guess I'll pose this question to you guys. Is it possible to like anybody other than the Eagles or the 49ers to win the NFC?
1: I Last week on the show, I said there's only three options you can bet in the NFC, and I included Dallas because they've got this, uh, one of the top three records in the NFL over the last two seasons. But, Adam, I'm completely with you. I did. You know, I remember Mike Thomas said he liked Seattle. I didn't understand. I went back through Seattle's schedule. If you go back and look, they had four wins against the Cardinals and against the Rams. Mm. They won, I think, what, nine games last year, nine and eight. I could be wrong. They got absolutely dusted. If you go through the games against the 49ers, they got crushed in the second half. They score a late garbage score. They have a blocked 86-yard field goal return for a touchdown against the 49ers. And then they were dominant in the other game. To Adam's point, it comes down to which team's going to have home field advantage. How much of a step forward does Brock Purdy take? And I'm telling you right now, I know Philadelphia lost Hargrave. He goes to uh, San Francisco on that defensive line, which will help them. You get Eric Armstead healthy, but they lose Jimmy Ward in the back. Uh, To me, Philadelphia was right there. They're one play away from winning the Super Bowl. This team is on the cusp. I I was not a believer in Jalen Hurts, but he is not a one-hit wonder. And I'll tell you right now, in my opinion, as great as Mahomes is, the greatest weapon in the National Football League today is Jalen Hurts on a quarterback sneak on third and one or less. Did they uh change the rule on the uh the push or no?
4: That's still allowed? Still know, good? I, I haven't heard. Still good, I I would assume. So I, I wanna I wanna go to the question that you posed there. So I want to go to Dallas real quick because the reconstruction of that coaching staff on the offensive side of the ball scares me. Mm-hmm. Because the telltale sign that you made the wrong move is that the dude you fired was on the market for less than 24 hours. And Kellen Moore got hired immediately by the Chargers, which, by the way, I don't know if Kellen Moore is great or not, but I know Kellen Moore is better than Joe Lombardi. Yeah. That's going to be a humongous difference in L.A. for that offense. But I am a little bit scared of going with a guy with Brian Schottenheimer who really did his best work in the mid-2000s as an offensive coordinator and Mike McCarthy. Even though, again, the one counter with that, though, Mike McCarthy usually has his problems in big games in the postseason. For all of his flaws, the guy is a good regular season coach. And that team has the third best talent in the conference. I don't think they can catch the Eagles unless if there's significant injuries on the Philadelphia side. But they're pretty clearly getting themselves into the five seed yet again.
5: Yeah, I mean, they're an extremely dangerous team because of all the offensive personnel that they have. And I think Brandon Cooks is a really good addition, too, because now he can be, as long as he's healthy, he can be a possession guy that can really help you out on third down, kind of bail press got out of some tough situations. They obviously have star power on the defensive side of the ball with a guy like Micah Parsons. But I, I agree with you. I, I'm really concerned about what happens with this offense, how it gets neutered a little bit, loses some of its explosiveness with Brian Schottenheimer. And I actually read a piece. I don't remember if it was at the athletic or NFL.com, one of the two, Um, not to get away from the NFC, but it was about Kellen Moore and the Chargers. And he is basically talking about, look, like we're going to use the height that we have at wide receiver and Justin Herbert's big arm. We're going to get vertical, but we're also going to find ways to be smarter on those underneath throws. And like, I think Kellen Moore is going to be a great fit with the Chargers. I think they're, you know, very, very clearly a team that has a wide range of outcomes this season. I think they could be 7 and 10. I think they could be 11 and 6 or better. It wouldn't shock me if they're a boomer bust type of team. But I do think that Dallas loses some of that without Kellen Moore. That being said, it did feel like there was kind of a clash of ideologies between McCarthy and Moore that maybe it's for the better for the continuity of that team, for the messaging in the locker room. But I don't know if it's better in terms of on-field performance.
1: I would agree with you guys. But you mentioned Calvin Moore Morgan picked up right away. Listen, Doc Rivers seems to get recycled in the NBA. Not this time of all. Well, it's only the fourth <laughs> time of charm. I mean, my point is th- there are bad decisions made in the front offices constantly throughout. But I, I think Adam's-, Adam's absolutely right. I think Dallas is dangerous. But to me, the separation is this. Dak Prescott can't deliver when the chips are down. I just think he's a slightly better than average quarterback. He's paid like he's an elite quarterback. Dallas has got the third best talent in the NFC. But again, to me, the road goes through Philadelphia and San Francisco. The one thing with the Niners is the talent everywhere else is amazing. Debo Samuel healthy with Christian McCaffrey becomes really dangerous. On the flip side, Philadelphia, Jalen Hurts and company have been incredibly impressive. And people are saying, well, they lose their coordinators. Do you know what? What? Are we acting like Nick Sirianni didn't have anything to do with this? I mean, is this just all about uh, Shane Steichen and company? I mean, I, I don't get it. Well, Brian Johnson is the one
4: that a lot of people think deserves a lot of credit for Jalen Hurts improving too, and he's just going into the offensive coordinator role from the quarterbacks coach role. So I don't, I agree with you on that, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And and Adam, the city of Philadelphia is running to run Jonathan Gannon out anyway. So right, I, I don't know how much of a different that's really going to be on the DC side of things.
5: I just love the thing I love the most about Philadelphia is the way that they constructed their roster, because they were very much aware that Jalen hurts was a flawed player. So what did they do? They got him AJ Brown. They got him Devonte Smith, a guy that you can throw it to, you know, on wide receiver screens, quick slants, all these things. He's such a dynamic playmaker that he can create a lot of things as long as hurts can get him the ball in space. And That's what they did. They surrounded Jalen Hurts with with dudes that are athletes that were like, you know what, just get the ball to them in space. We'll scheme everything up so that these guys are open or you can get it out quick. Oh, and if it's not there, just go ahead and run because you're a very gifted runner. What Philadelphia did from a roster construction standpoint should be a blueprint for just about every team in the NFL with what today's quarterback
1: looks like. To your point, I think one team that could take advice from the Philadelphia Eagles is the Chicago Bears, and they look like they're starting to do that in the right direction, going out and getting a playmaker on the perimeter, uh, DJ Moore out of Carolina in the trade for the first overall pick. So I think Adam's absolutely right. This Eagles team, to me, when you look at it, I don't know what the odds are, if you can read that on the screen there, uh, to me, Jeff, when you see it. But I think the Eagles or the 49ers, are the two teams to beat in this league. They just – there's nobody else – Nobody from the north really concerns me. Nobody from the south. And then, what, Seattle, Dallas? Who who else is there? I
4: think Seattle is the fourth team, and I,
1: I understand. I don't get it. I understand what
4: you're saying, Amal. The one thing is Geno Smith at the beginning of last year did play it at an all-pro level. Now, we know what he was in the back end. He was mediocre at best, played well for a half of that playoff game, and then the wheels completely came off. I'm just curious if they've made enough defensive improvements to put themselves at least in the conversation. I think they have, but we are going to find it out, I think, pretty quickly. And if they if they haven't and their defense is still mediocre, then they're not in that level. I think Detroit being the fourth favorite in the NFC's lunacy, because I think a lot of that stuff we saw at the end of last year is going to come crashing back to earth a little bit.
5: There's a good number of similarities, I think, between Detroit and Seattle in that the two rosters are stars and scrubs units, right? Like there are guys on both of those teams that are really, really good players. And then guys who are below average NFL players that are thrown into a starting role because there's not a whole lot else there, you know, from one through 22, I don't think either one of those teams are great. I think one to 10, those two teams can be great, but it takes more than that. And I think teams like Philadelphia and San Francisco, their rosters are just dramatically better not only 1 through 22, but also all the way down to 1 through 53.
1: You know, the other thing is the Seahawks did not beat a team with a winning record after November 1st. I mean, they beat up on the Cardinals, the Rams a couple of times, the Jets. These are teams that are not great. And when you're trying to compare them against the best team in their division, the San Francisco 49ers, I talked about this in the last segment. They lose 27-7 at Levi Stadium. That seven points came on the block. They get dominated 21-13 to uh, 13 at home. They score 10 points late in that game to make it much closer than it really was. They're not that good of a football team. I think that's a common theme in this conference, though. Yeah, but I don't understand, like, people are talking about Seattle like they have a chance. One injury, all it takes. But
4: still, Philadelphia is still loser. Adam, stick around. I want to get some award thoughts from you when we get back on Char Money.
2: This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen.
3: I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.
1: This is Sharp Money with Patrick Maher and Amal Shaw
2: on VSIN, the sports betting network.
4: It's always football season here at VSIN, which is why we just released our NFL betting guide. And the NFL Betting Guide will help you get ahead of the upcoming NFL betting season with in-depth profiles of every team, including advanced stats, proven betting systems, and proprietary betting trends. Plus, best bets on the season win totals, futures, and props. Become a Visa Pro subscriber today for as low as $19 and get your newly released NFL Betting Guide today or take advantage of our summer kickoff special and get access to everything we do through the Super Bowl for only $175, sign up today. VEASAN.com slash subscribe. Welcome back in. It's Sharp Money. I'm Jeff Parles. Maul Shah. Adam Burke. Dustin Sweetelson here. And I want to throw a hypothetical out here for you guys. And I'm curious what a mall has to say. Because, Adam, you and I talked about this in our VEASAN Saturday betting hour a little bit. So, we didn't really talk about the NFC North in the last Segment because none of us buy any of them as real contenders. But someone has to win that division. So, what happens here? The Minnesota Vikings have a win total of eight and a half a year after they won 13 games with a negative point differential. Everyone believes they will be team regression to the largest level we may have ever seen. But what happens if Minnesota goes 12 and 5 or 13 and 4 again? Can we consider Kevin O'Connell the coach of the year? Or do we think that the voters do not have enough thought process here to realize that that sh- should actually be what ends up happening
5: here? If Minnesota runs it back and wins 11-plus, I think Kevin O'Connell has to be given serious consideration, especially because, as you mentioned, like everybody's expecting this team to really drop off. The Lions were the flavor of the last two months of the season, a team that nobody wanted to play in the NFC playoffs. Unfortunately for them, Detroit didn't get in. But for Minnesota here, I mean – yeah, there were a lot of fluky things that helped, and of course their record in close games and all those kinds of things. But I mean, this is still a decent roster. I mean, obviously your mileage varies when it comes to Kirk Cousins and what you think about him, but Justin Jefferson's still the best wide receiver in the NFL. And you yeah, know, I remember you talking about this when we recorded that show on Friday that that you can hear on um radio affiliates around Ohio on Saturday that maybe Kevin O'Connell just is a really good head coach. And mm-hmm. we're all kind of writing him off just because you know, this was a team that had basically an even point differential and went 13-4, and four, but
4: maybe they are good. I don't know. Well, and the other thing, too, is we talk about coordinators. And Donatel was as bad as anyone could have imagined last year. And now you have Brian Flores there, which, again, we'll see how good of a coordinator Flores is, but it has to be an improvement. I mean, it just, yeah. kinda, it just has to be based off of what that defense was a year ago.
1: The problem is you lose Dalvin Cook, who I think is – an elite running back at that position. And he's a great safety valve for Kirk cousins. And in terms of what he could do in the passing game was tremendous. We know how he could run the ball. And the other thing is Minnesota won last year, six games by four points. If you include a fifth point, they won seven games by five points or less five by exactly three points. And to Adam's point, a lot of things went their way. I I just don't know if they'll be able to duplicate it. Um, They look, they could win 10 games. They could win 11 games. Fine. But I just don't see them being a legitimate contender. You know, I don't know about you guys watching that Giants playoff game, but it felt like midway through the second quarter, they weren't going to be able to stop the Giants, and they weren't going to be able to win the game.
4: Well, I liked the Giants before that game anyway, so that game so, kind of uh, played yeah. it played yeah, out exactly what I thought it was going to do. Uh, but you know, it's... I mean, jo- what if Jordan Addison's really good? Well, that's And then is you put him that...
5: with Hawkinson and Jeff- and Jefferson. I mean, you don't have to run the ball that much.
4: Well, well, yep. I-, I do agree with what Amal said though, because. And this is the one thing, we kind of jumped the shark on the running back debate now. Where Dalvin Cook is not particularly old. Still had a pretty darn good season last year. And you just let him go. Because you don't want to pay him in a year. And, hey, look, I I thought that was a mistake. I'm, I know fantasy guys love Alexander
1: Madison. I think he's a perfectly fine running back, but he's not Dalvin Cook. He's definitely not Devin Cook at catching the ball. Look, I like Madison coming out of Boise State. He's a good player, but he's – he's again, Cook is, to me, a top five, top six running back. Still unsigned, too. I also, mean, look, by I, the way, I,
4: Adam, I, I was going to ask you this. Is Kareem Hunt going to sign with anyone? He still hasn't signed yet.
5: You know where Kareem Hunt would make a ton of sense? We just talked about it. Minnesota. Yeah. That, that would make a lot of sense because it would give them another option, you know, third down back, pass catch, or something like that. Look, I think the biggest thing when you talk about the NFC North – The two questions. One is Jordan love any good because if Jordan loves any good, then green Bay, I think is at least very live to win that division. The second is can Detroit get better defensively? Because obviously that offense is fantastic and they got to keep Johnson around the offensive coordinator. Goff has found a perfect fit there. They're pretty dynamic. The skill positions that defense was exceptionally bad last year. So all of these teams in the North are flawed and it's whichever one is able to figure out the flaws that will ultimately prevail.
4: It's part of the reason that I actually like Green Bay around five to one to win a division because on not, the chance that Jordan Love is good.
5: I mean, the only team that can't win it is Chicago, right? I don't,
1: I don't agree think. with that completely. It, I mean, I'm not saying they can't. I will say this, though, with a quarterback. going will take a six-win upgrade. Can they do that? Well, listen, I always harken back to the Rams and the greatest show on turf. All I'm saying is I don't think anybody's overwhelming in this division from a defensive standpoint. I think there's some weaknesses. You mentioned Green Bay. I think they're a team that's getting slept on if Jordan Love plays well. Here's my point, though. I think uh, we could see a potential step forward with Justin Fields. I don't know if it's at the same level we saw with uh, Jalen Hurts, but he's easily has the highest ceiling of any quarterback. And if they can throw the ball with any kind of continuity and just consistency, his running ability all of a sudden changes how you defend him.
4: For what it's worth, I had this whole division going through what my early predictions look like. I had this whole division either at nine and eight or eight and nine. I think they're all going to be pretty average. Uh, When it's all said and done. And the one thing with fields, I agree with you. Very high ceiling. The one problem is his floor is extraordinarily low. That's kind of, that's the one thing that scares me with Chicago. But who
1: could play behind an offensive line? That was a complete
4: car walk. And everybody's a valid point point. that that, the line last two years was a disaster. And the year before they were poorly coached on top of being a disaster. So we'll see. And also, too, I think Getsy will get better. Getsy did get better calling plays as the year went along, even though they didn't win games. So that is something else to look at as well. All right. Dustin, what do you got today plays-wise?
6: Well, coming off that loser with the Cubs, we need some redemption. Going to go Marlins. Minus 126. Braxton Garrett's been very good this year. Going to back them against the Cardinals team that has disappointed me ever since I bet any futures on them. Also going to lay 142 with the Braves against the Guardians. I know this kid pitching for Cleveland's really good, and Adam can speak to it as well. I saw people comparing his, his stuff to, like, a, a young Garrett Cole, but the Braves are a juggernaut. They're red hot. And if they score any runs, Cleveland's not hanging with them. And then my final play, I'm going to go with the Orioles, minus $1.12. I'm going to go against Herman coming off the perfect game, taking on an offense in Baltimore. That's significantly better than what New York's doing at the moment. And Tyler Wells has been a really solid option for them. So that's the Orioles, the Braves, and the Marlins left for me today.
5: Well, Dustin and I line up on two of them. I, I think the Marlins were definitely worth a play today. I mean, Braxton Garrett, his numbers for the full season. Don't tell nearly the entire story. He actually had a start. He gave up 11 runs on 14 hits and four and a third to Atlanta. Other than that, he's given up 22 runs total the rest of the season. So he's been really, really good. Cardinals, not so much. I don't care that jazz Chisholm's out again. He wasn't really performing that high of a level anyway. And Miami has been good without him. Also Miami, one other quick point on them. They are one and nine against Atlanta this year. They've been outscored 83 to 29. So they're 47 and 28 against everybody else with a pretty good run differential. So I think Miami worth it today against the Cardinals. I too thought Atlanta was a little bit cheap today. Gavin Williams might be great. And as a guardians fan, I sure as hell hope he is his first two starts in the big leagues, Oakland and Kansas city. So today is probably a wake up call for him. The other one I took today was actually, I laid the price with the giants with Logan Webb, expecting him to bounce back at home. Looks like a big number against Brian Wu. Who's been good outside of his first start, but the giants bring left-handed batters to the equation which they've had success against Wu at the big league level and also at the minor league level. And three of his last four starts have been against teams that are sixth, fifth, and seventh in number of plate appearances that are righty on righty. Wu's getting lefties here today from the Giants, so I think that upgrades their offensive projection. So I got three favorites today with the Marlins, Braves, and the Giants.
6: Dustin, the floor is yours with your great top 10 list. Also, that's going to be our pro tip from Adam Burke, and this goes for other teams as well, the Marlins. Numbers are skewed from being 1-8, and eight, 9 versus the Braves this season. Uh, before we head out, my top 10 we do at the end of every show. This week, we're going to do my top 10 fast food value menu items. We will begin here, the list at number 10, with Jack in the Box, and their I believe they're $2 tacos for two. Maybe it's $1 for two. Either way, the tacos are actually horrible. I think Jack in the Box <laughs> is the, maybe the worst fast food establishment in the country. I think Matt Humans had him ranked in the 200s last year in his fast food list. I told him that was too high. But for the money, it's still a great deal. And then number nine, the Wendy's Frosty. The Frosty's incredible. It's on their value menu item at Wendy's. Uh, it's a value menu item at Wendy's. The only issue is it's the Junior Frosty, and there's not more of it. Chocolate but- or vanilla? Always chocolate.
4: I, I'm, I'm with Dustin on that. It's always got to be a chocolate. Because it's not too much chocolate. By the way, I want Jack in the Box to cut your promotion for them. That That's just the perfect promo <laughs> for him. That's all the time we have here on Sharp Money. For Dustin, for Adam, for Elmall, I'm Jeff Parles. We'll see you next time here on Sharp Money on Visa.
0: Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm.